Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It is Victory Lane. Today, episode 76, we got part two of our conversation with Chase Cabri, not Chase Cabri, and I know that he is now from Thanotasasa, Florida, not Thanatasasa, but... This episode, as always, we'll hear from my dad in about two seconds. Who are we paying homage to? Thank you, Duve, and happy October to everybody out there. Today, we turn our way back lens on number 76, but I'm sad to say have come up largely empty. 321 Cup Series starts for the number. No wins for the 76 and only two poles. Even more pitiful, It's been more than 25 years since the 76 has even been driven in the Cup Series. Ben Arnold drove the 76 126 times between 1968 and 1973. I wasn't familiar with Mr. Arnold, but several of his obituaries, he died in 2011, said that he was a member of the Alabama gang. He was from Alabama, but not sure about the Alabama gang reference and that he holds the track record at Talladega for qualifying backward at 178 miles an hour. Yeah, I was curious about that one, too. Reports are sort of sketchy, but it's said he spun in the tri-oval near the end of his qualifying lap and that he took the checkered flag going backwards. That must have been fun, huh? As we saw this past week, it doesn't take much to wreck at Talladega. But we can do better than that, right? So, we turn to the gift that keeps on giving, the Disney Cars franchise. Krusty Roeder was a Piston Cup driver who drove the 76 car in Cars. According to the World of Cars fandom website, Krusty Roeder was a vinyl top salesman before the makers of Vinyl Toupee, find vinyl top in a car, put him out of business. While working out his frustration in the gym, He realized he had an amazing gift for driving long, hard distances without feeling even the slightest burnout. As luck would have it, the makers of Vinyl Toupee were looking to sponsor a Piston Cup team. Krusty pitched himself for the job. His sponsor added all the spray-on toupee his roof could hold, and the rest is animated movie history, I guess. In cars, Krusty... Like some other Piston Cup racers we've previously heard about, raced in the Dynaco 400 at the Motor Speedway of the South. He also was involved in the huge accident caused by our friend Chick Hicks. Kachiga! Kachiga! After Cars, Krusty retired and was replaced by Rev Rodages in Cars 3. Rev, in turn, later was replaced himself by next-generation racer Will Rush. Well, that's all for this week, and thanks to Mama Siegel for the Kachiga assist. Kachiga. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Digging deep there, I see in your suitcase of courage. I love Cars references, though. I really, um, I, I think I'm learning more about the Cars franchise than I even thought that I wanted, but I don't think that I knew that I wanted this, so... I'm here for it. Today, we got the race from day. Get a recap as well as the dreaded yellow line rule. Oh, I'm tired of talking about it. Plus, a short preview of the Roval cutoff race from Charlotte Motor Speedway. And as I mentioned, part two of our wonderful, insightful, honest conversation with Chase Cabry. Let's start it off, as always, with a good old-fashioned reggaeton. Talladega Super Speedway recap. Pretty good race, I would say, but a really long one with an ending that was, for lack of a better term, I'd probably say somewhere in the neighborhood of a shit show. You had 13 cautions for 54 laps. 
I think the race wound up, instead of being 188 since it went to triple overtime, I think it was 200 laps, which was the longest race mileage-wise in the history of Talladega Super Speedway. Time of the race, 4 hours and 5 minutes, not even counting the two red flags that we experienced throughout the 500 miles. So there were a lot of wrecks throughout the day, a lot of cautions, but it winds up being Denny Hamlin, Matt Benedetto, Chase Elliott, handful of others, Chris Buescher in that mix. They're fighting for the win in the third and final overtime attempt. So they're coming to the checkered flag. They took the white, coming off turn three. You got people going below the yellow line, people being forced below the yellow line, people avoiding wrecks and going below the yellow line. And then they come through the trioval. They're neck and neck. And who beats who? Denny Hamlin beats Matty D by a nose. Just that close. Then they confirm, because we were kind of skeptical on the cooldown lap, that Denny did not break the rule by going below the yellow line. They said that he was avoiding an accident. So Matty D, he finishes second, but then they say that he forced somebody below the yellow line, so he gets relegated to a 21st place finish. Then an hour later, Chase Elliott, who also got relegated for forcing somebody below, or maybe going below, I forget, he gets promoted to a top five finish, and Chris Buescher gets relegated to a 22nd place finish. So you had all this mumbo-jumbo, all this these things happening when people are finishing in the top five. No, they're penalized. Oh, no, nope, the penalties rescinded. Up, oh, did they break it well? Were they forced? Or you may be penalized. You, but So much stuff and blah going on. So all, all this is happening, and I'm just like over it at this point. Um, but anyways, we were able to talk to Denny Hamlin. He wins for the seventh time this season, which is one shy of his career-high victory total, which is eight coming back in 2010. And man, he's asserting his dominance even more on super speedways. He was fifth going into turn three on the last lap, and that was the first time that he was running inside the top five all day long because their strategy was essentially to just hang back, not worry about anything, let everybody take care of themselves and wreck each other out, and pounce when the opportunity presented itself. They did exactly that. Their strategy worked to a T. Yeah, it was uh, certainly um, it was uneventful for 490 miles for us. Uh, we, we didn't do a whole lot. Uh, we led the first part of it. But uh, once we got shuffled there and I put myself in, well, we came off pit road, I think, fifth. Uh, we came in leading, came out fifth. You know, I just I didn't want to put myself in a position where I could get wrecked early. I didn't want uh, a mid 30s finish. Um, I would have taken mid 20s, but not mid 30s. In my mind, I needed to pick up about 20 points over the next two weeks to lock myself into the uh, top eight. So I just kept watching as as the wrecks were happening and kind of counting points. Um, you know, I hate I hate that that's the way I had to do it, but I mean, it's just you got to play the game the way it's uh, it's designed to be played and. Um, we, we put ourselves in a good position there and then, you know, had got really fortunate where, um, you know, the wreck didn't seem like it was going to happen. Uh, we were in the twenties, I think on the first green white checkered. And, um, we just, he's like, come in, let's get fuel just in case there's more green white checkers. And, um, at that point we were just kind of punting, hoping that, uh, we were going to get somewhere in the top 15 and, uh, you know, it, it just kept wreck after wreck, just, you know, made it to where we didn't have to worry about fuel everybody else did and um you know just things worked out for us and we made the right move at the right time this exchange with denny hamlin and bob pockris i loved it <laughs> this is everything that we love about bob and everything that we hate about the yellow line rule take a listen yeah denny um were you were you even thinking that there was a chance nascar would penalize you no 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 <laughs> Wait, well, how they about called it all day they called well, it all day. It's a non-story. Well, I mean, I think some of us were surprised they called it on to Benedetto at the end there. They wow. called him. Um, because, I mean, it's, I think on the last lap, it's it's always tough for them to call it, right? They're supposed to, right? Call it the same on lap mm -hmm. one as you do the last lap. And so do you agree with the rule? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I've, I've been a victim of getting forced down there all the time. And finally, they put their foot down and said, this is the rule when we're going to enforce it. So, um, you know, you can't, you can't you as a leader or wherever you are, you can't use the yellow line as a defense. Um, you have to, uh, you have to, 
you have to play within the boundaries that they set. So um, it's, you know, in NFL, they had, you know, force out rules and things like that. They got rid of it, but uh, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, they just, uh, they, they set the precedence early. So, you know, that um, they, you weren't going to get away with it, uh, but it's just, uh, it's part of it. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I would have done anything different um, if I was Mac, but certainly um, you just I, like, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge blocking guy. So it's like, I, I don't know. I don't always think you have to block to, to win. Gotta love that, don't you? So as I mentioned, DeBenedetto was second, but he then he was relegated to a 21st place finish. So Eric Jones winds up coming home P2. And Ty Dillon, how about that? Third place finish. That's the best career finish for him in Cup. And it's also the best for Jermaine Racing, who has, what, uh, six, five races left in their Cup Series and NASCAR probably existence. So that's pretty cool. Congrats to, to Ty Dillon for the good finish, especially silly season in full force now and he doesn't know what he's doing for next year would he possibly be open to going down to the xfinity series if an if a cup ride does not open up for him oh absolutely um i feel like i am one of the top level drivers in the cup series i just need the 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 correct opportunity i've proven it in the xfinity series in every race i've won if you go back and watch i I beat um I know kyle bush is one of the best but i beat he's finished second to most of my most of my wins kevin harvick was you look at the field that was in the win that I got at uh, the Brickyard. Uh, those guys were the best, of the best. And so I've proved that I can do it. It's just a matter of opportunity. So um, I absolutely want to be in the Cup Series. I'm, I feel like I, in the right situation over the right time, can win races and, and be a championship contender. Um, and and um, my time is not up here. And I definitely have a lot to prove still. I feel like I'm, I'm starting to reach a pinnacle of, of my life physically and mentally as far as a Cup driver. And uh, I'm, I'm so eager for the next opportunity. But as far as the opportunity, uh, I have nothing yet. So um, hopefully this inspires some, some more talks and more sponsorship opportunity. It's getting to a tough place in the sport where you have to bring money with you as far as sponsorship. And um, a little bit goes a long, right, long way right now. And if I have to take an opportunity to go down the Xfinity Series and try to win races there and, and reprove myself, I'll absolutely take it. Um, but I'm a hungry driver right now, and I want opportunity next year. Uh, to continue to prove what I can do and uh, start fresh. Before we close the book on Sunday, here is NASCAR's vice president of competition, Scott Miller, on the yellow line rule and NASCAR's vantage point and thoughts on what occurred specifically on the final lap. Because we got to remember that previously in the race, Joey Logano was penalized not once but twice for forcing another car below the yellow line, one of which being his de facto Penske teammate, I think, and Matt Benedetto, So they were calling it all day. But there's a difference between may be penalized and will be penalized and judgment calls. I understand all that. But here was Scott Miller's thoughts on everything. Well, yeah, it um, was pretty clear cut. The 21 hung a left and, and drove those guys down below the line. So uh, we had called that twice on the 22 car uh, during the race. So nothing different there. Um, on the, the 24 and the 11 being down there. I mean, we, in our judgment, um, they were down there to avoid a wreck. And uh, on the nine, I mean, he obviously just pulled out and passed underneath the yellow line. So I think all of it was, um, you know, from our, from our vantage point, I think fairly clear cut. Um, I think you heard Eric say in the previous interview that there would probably be even more wrecks, and we certainly don't need more wrecks than what we saw today, so uh, probably not. And that probably not was in regards to the rule potentially changing or being eliminated. And he also mentioned that NASCAR needs to get their arms around the drivers because there's been an uptick in aggressive driving specifically pointing to the amount of crashes in Talladega and the ones that we've had recently at super speedways. So part of me is like, okay, but the other part of me is like, dude, like the rules are what's making these things, these races crazy and crash heavy and the package, which is good by the way. Um, I, you've probably heard my thoughts on the yellow line rule by now because I did it on the front stretch wrap up. I did it on the grid challenge. Part of me agrees with Dale Jr. what he said after the broadcast, which is essentially, I say you get rid of the rule because I don't think you can wreck more cars than he did today. But part of me also says you should keep the rule because 
you're trying to tell me that getting rid of the rule, that would mean a car is potentially on the apron going into turn three or going into turn one, trying to merge back up onto the banking, which is 33 degrees, which is the highest and most steep in all of NASCAR. And that will cause calamity and that will be crazy to watch and not safe. So part of me says, yes, get rid of it. Part of me says, I understand why you have it. I just wish that the ambiguity that comes along with it would not be so well ambiguous. Like there, there's too much judgment associated with this call and there's too much inconsistency that comes along with it year after year, even going back to Regan Smith and Tony Stewart in 2008. I wish that we could have a blueprint that's black and white instead of you may be penalized and you will be penalized. You know what I mean? The Xfinity race ended up under caution. Uh, it was Chase Briscoe and Noah Grakes, and they had a moment down the back stretch or the front stretch, I think coming with like five laps to go or something like that. Uh, but it winds up being the Super Speedway Master. That's right, College Racing's Justin Haley, who gets the win. He's on to the next round of the Xfinity Series playoffs, and he's got another win on a Super Speedway. I'm telling you, this guy, he seems to have the goods. Such a relief. Um, you know, I points raced all day and then you get down to the last 10 laps and it's like you just completely forget about it and go across start finish line win. And then, you know, I didn't even register that we made it into the round of eight, locked ourselves in till a good bit after. Um, so it, so much pressure is relieved, at least for a week. But we still have to go to the roll. We, we still have to execute. Right. We got to um, finish well that we have a good starting position at the next race. Good pit selection. Um, so, so next week, obviously, is, is not an off week, but um, at least no pressure. And the same thing with the Truck Series race ended under caution. I thought Trevor Bain was actually going to win this race. I was freaking out for a little bit. But it's the rookie, the Canadian, the French-Canadian, Raphael Lassard, gets the first career National Series victory for himself, as well as Kyle Busch Motorsports this season, who's had a dismal couple years. Christian Eckes and Todd Gilland wound up being the ones that were eliminated from playoff contention, but the four truck of Rafael Assard, he doesn't care. He's a victor. Oh, it, feel, it feels amazing. Uh, I mean, at the end, you never know what's going to happen at, at this super speedway. And at, at the end, I was in position to winning, and I was third on the restart. So I just, uh, my crew chief told me to go as hard as I could and just push the guy in front of me and to not lift. So that's what I did. And the guy behind me gave me an awesome push. He did a, an amazing job to push me to the lead, and the caution came out perfectly. Uh, <laughs> I just I can't believe it. It's amazing. I can't wait to talk with, with my family and my team. I haven't seen my team since I, the win, so <laughs> can't take everyone at Mobile One, Kanek, Toyota. Uh, this Toyota Tundra was uh, awesome. Part two of our interview time with Chase Cabri, again, driver of the four car for Rev Racing in the Arkham Menard Series East and all-around racer. We talked a lot in the first segment about his start in racing primarily and then had gotten to some funny memories of his rivalry with Sam Mayer back last year and also just his time at Rev Racing in general. We're going to get into a little bit more of that, but we're going to start off the second part of our conversation talking about his brother Colin, who we also mentioned in part one and how Colin's acceptance into the Drive for Diversity program sparked his interest and made him say, all right, I think we can do this. But Colin, unfortunately, is undergoing treatment for cancer. Thankfully, as Chase uh, let me know, it's treatable and he hopefully will be in the clear by December. So that's great news. But we're going to chat about Colin's cancer diagnosis, what he's doing on his micro sprint to support him and how that's affected him. Also, his teammates at Rev Racing over the years, from Ruben Garcia Jr. to Ryan Vargas, they had some beef. Did you know that, him and Ryan Vargas? We're going to get into that a little bit, as well as Nick Sanchez. How he's changed as a person at Rev Racing over the last half decade or so, and his time at Rev is actually coming to a close. And he lets me know that this last race coming up at Pensacola this weekend, this is going to be it for him in not only Rev Racing equipment, but most likely in NASCAR, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast and how things go in this day and age. He's become a gym rat recently, so he's going to tell me a little bit about that, why he has no cheat days at all, his TikTok fame, yep, we're going to get into that, and again, how he's going to be done with Rev Racing and moving on to the next chapter of his career in racing, which is going back to his roots on dirt. So again, I want to thank Chase for his time. Thank you to Christy Gormal of Rev Racing for helping coordinate the interview 
everybody over there for giving me their time um, and their honesty, specifically Chase. So here's part two of our chat with Chase Cabry. I want to circle back to the teammate side of things because I want to talk about the, the plethora of teammates that you've had in your time with Rev. But I want to get to your brother, Colin, first. Um, I know I promised we'd be positive, but I want to touch on this. Uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. I think he had his first round of chemo about a month ago at this point. And I actually found out when you posted on Instagram that you had Colin Strong written on your micro sprint, which is really, really cool to just um, support him and bring awareness to that. First off, how is he doing? Um, and then second off, you know, how is his diagnosis and what he's been going through? How has that affected you as his brother? Um, he's he's doing good. Uh, he, I mean, he's lost his hair at this point, but he's strong. Uh, he's a, I mean, he's a big kid. Um, so he uh, he's lost a lot of weight, uh, but he still gets up and uh, he goes. He can't work right now. Uh, he gets too tired too fast, so he'll go over to. Uh, we, we have a little shop in Cornelius that he keeps his micro at. He just bought one um, and he tore it apart completely down to a bare frame. And uh, he's just building it back throughout the days. And when he gets tired, he goes home and he's just doing it really slow. Just gives him something to do to keep his mind off of sitting at the house mm -hmm. and getting bored. Um, so, yeah, he's doing OK. Um, and the doctors say he'll be OK and everything will go over and blow over. Uh, hopefully by de December. So, wow, uh, yeah, awesome. he, he's, he's doing fine. And uh, there's, like I said, there's bad days. There's good days. Uh, there's days when he can get up and go to races with me and go watch me out of Millbridge. And then there's days that he can't move off the couch. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just an ongoing process. And it's part of, part of cancer. Um, and uh, we're just lucky that it's not as bad as, you know, some people have it. Well, it's great news that he's going to hopefully knock on wood if everything goes according to plan, as I'm literally knocking on wood, um, that he'll be good to go by December. That's that's unreal. Um, just real quick, I mean, how is – I know that you have a really close relationship with him, like, you know, inside of the race car at the track and outside of it as well. You know, seeing him like this, how, how has that impacted you personally? Uh, we're a joking family, uh, so we mess with each other a lot. Yeah, and you like do. If, if people saw – us together like at times they would be like wow you guys are rude um <laughs> but i don't know if you've ever seen the movie cool runnings i have uh feel the uh, rhythm so, feel the ride yeah so uh there's a clip in that movie uh that I, I i thought about as soon as he shaved his head so every time he comes up i i either play it or say like oh look baldy's here you know that, <laughs> that clip i do um, yeah um and so we'll joke with each other like that, but people are like, that's rude. No, we're, we're good. Um, he's, he's healthy um, as far as he can be. Uh, he comes a track with me still. So, yeah, we have a close relationship. Our family, our whole family's tight, and uh, we're all just trying to help him and stay in positive spirits. And his biggest thing was he didn't want to be tampered. Like, he doesn't uh, want to be like – um, I think tamper is the right word, but just like baby he doesn't want to, are you okay? How are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like if we can mess with them and hey, look, Baldy's here, you know, mess with them, stuff like that. That's yeah, normal keep it stuff normal. we're going to do. So uh, that, that was the biggest thing is he just doesn't want people to look at him and look at it like he's got some disease or something. He's like, I'm right. fine. I'm just, I've got cancer. You know, I'll be okay. So yeah, yeah, we're all good. It's brotherly love. Yeah, of course. That's all it is. Uh, well, it's great to hear that he's he's doing all right and that he hopefully will be uh, all better in December. So send him my best wishes and everybody listening, I'm sure, sends the same. Let's talk about Ruben. He's killing it in Mexico right now. Like he legitimately is just on rails, like almost winning every single week. Probably going to win another peak, peak Mexico Series championship. But you mentioned the first year that you had Ruben as one of your teammates. Um, and I forget who, who else you mentioned. But, I mean, Ruben Beasley. was one of your – Beasley, there you go. So – but Ruben was, was your teammate for, well, like three, I think three full years at Rev. Three years, yep. You miss yeah, him having, was, by, having him uh, by your side every week because you guys were jokesters together. Yeah, Ruben's my buddy. Uh, he's so funny. Um, he, you know, we, I've changed so much as a human um, from the moment I got to Rev and to, the, to where I'm at now. Um, I've changed so much. I just – going up and down the road and being with different guys and stuff it teaches you how to 
you know, kind of mature up. Um, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, but, it, but Ruben was always there, you know, like I always had my buddy, we roomed together. We did everything together. We went and ate together. Uh, like at the tracks, we just, we stuck together. We, uh, took those bird scooters through St. Louis. <laughs> we did everything. Um, and so he went back to Mexico and he's been killing out there and he actually just flew back out here on Monday. So oh, uh, we've been going to the gym together uh, this week. Uh, so it's, it's been cool to have him back and to hang out with him again. He's such a good kid and um, he's got a huge future for himself. I'm happy for him. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see um, everything that he's done. And, but yeah, as a teammate, he was, he was far none the best. You got to convince him to put you in a peak Mexico series car, see what you can do. <laughs> I would love to. Uh, it's, it's cool. It's, it's um, the hardest thing for me is to find funding to go race those races. Yeah. It's not nearly what I have to find to come to go race here. Um, but as far as to go find funding, it's, it's like, how do I tell this sponsor? Hey, do you want to market inside Mexico? You know what I mean? So it's, right. it's kind of weird. Or it's like, you know, go to a Mexican company and be like, hey, you want to sponsor this American kid? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But but how do I even go to a Mexican company? Like, I don't even know where I'd start. Yeah, you I know, know what I mean? Yeah. That's why you got to have Ruben hook you up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll get on him. I've, I've, right. I've pressured him for years on that one. Good. Good. Keep on it. Let's talk about uh, another one of your prior teammates who we have had on the podcast recently. Mutual friend of ours, Ryan Vargas. I had no idea up until recently that you guys actually used to have some major beef. Can you can you spell it out? Like, what was the deal here? You guys are totally good now, by the way. But, like, what was the deal when you guys had some beef together? Yeah, Vargas is actually one of my good friends now. I, I, I treat him as, as one of my best friends. You did a chicken nugget review good. together. Yeah, yeah. He, no, he's a good kid. Um, at first, he just can't. At, so there was a couple of things that kind of set me off. At first, he came into Rev as, like, the NASCAR super fan kid that was going to do everything possible right. If, if he had to be here at 7.30, he was here at 7.29. If he was told to clean his car, it was going to be crystal clean. And, like, I'm not faulting him for doing the right thing, but it was like, like, all right, dude, like, calm down. No, I get it. Like, young kid coming in, it's like, this is the try-hard kid. I get that. Yeah, yeah. He was the try-hard kid. That's exactly. And I was like, all right, man. Like, dude, you've got to calm down a little bit. Like, you're way too much. Um, this <laughs> this is not how this is going to go. Um, and then he also took my brother's spot. Um, Colin was supposed to run that year. And then Vargas came in the combine and ran faster than all of us. He had tested, like, the day before. So he was already had so many more laps and then went out there and laid a faster lap than any of us. And we were like, and they put him in and I was like, well, duh, he's bet He was better. He tested. You know, if I a hundred laps, so like that was my initial thought. So like, I, I felt bad for Colin. He was all upset. So then I just automatically had a vengeance, you know, and then he came in as a try hard kid and I was so we didn't like each other at first, um, and but then you know over time he he calmed down and we became really good friends. And same thing with uh, Perry Patino, uh, he's my teammate now. At first, um, I didn't talk to him. I wouldn't talk to him. I wouldn't speak a word to him. Uh, he was the tryhard kid. Uh, he knew everything. He you know knew everything about working on cars. And if you've done it, he'd done it ten times better. And I was like, dude, you've stop like just stop you know especially like, from you your doing? perspective because you've been here a while you know how things work so it's like it's like hey man like i've been doing this a while like just just chill out a little bit yeah yeah so i didn't speak to him and then we hung out like two or three times like oh, he's, he's not a bad kid he's actually pretty cool and then he calmed down a little bit and then i i uh then he you know stopped with that whole deal and he just got kind of normal like vargas did and uh, now he's actually, I'd say he's probably my best friend uh, right now in the, in the state. You know, we, we hang out every single day together. Uh, we go to the gym together. Um, but it was the same way. Like, I was like, stop trying so hard. And we were sitting at lunch one time. And I looked over and I was like, 
you know, I hated you for a long time. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, why? And I was like, just cause like you were like cocky and like you did s- just stop. Just like, just stop. Just be normal. He's like, Oh man, I never meant to come across like that. <laughs> and that was that. that At least you guys are good now. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, last teammate that I want to touch on is, uh, as Ruben affectionately calls him, Nicky Bobby, <laughs> Nick Sanchez. He's obviously in the fold uh, now as your teammate this year. I feel like anybody that comes across Nicky Bobby, it's just like you have to make fun of him 24-7, just like looking at him. His face just screams like, make fun of me. So I, that's what you do too, I know. Yeah, um, I actually haven't spoken a word to him in about three weeks. Uh, oh. We've been having some some recent beef. But um, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, he's a he's a good kid at heart, um, and we've all he's lived with me. We've done a lot together. We spent a lot of time together. Uh, we've had our pick moments, but yeah, he's a good kid, and uh, he's learning right now. He's learning the hard way, um, but he's learning, and uh, hopefully that you know going forward, I'll be out of this program uh, next year, and I hope that you know maybe he'll be the lead of this role and. Uh, as like the veteran driver, you almost got to kind of be a little arrogant a little bit to the younger ones that come in to kind of mm-hmm. to coach them up. It's like the varsity kid versus the JV kid. You yeah. got to you got to toughen them up a little bit, um, I feel like. And so that'll be his role next year. And, um, you know, hopefully he does a good job at it. And, and uh, you know, he's doing a good job inside of the race car. He's been running decent. Um, and yeah. Uh, I don't want to gloss over what you just said, basically, that you're leaving next year, but I want to save that for the end. I got a couple more quick hitters, and then I'll let you go. Um, you mentioned that you're you're going to the gym with Ruben and Perry. You, you become like a huge gym rat recently. I know that like fitness has always been a big thing for you, and it's always been big in racing, uh, but you've been posting about it a lot recently. Is this like a recent thing that you're like a gym rat, or have you always been this way? So I never lifted a weight before I came to Rev. Um, I maybe did a couple times, but I never got into it before Rev. Scrawny boy. Yeah, yeah, I was really (laughs) scrawny. And then I started working out with Coach, um, and Coach taught me a lot. And then I started doing some stuff with Ruben. And then this past year, um, I decided that it was like, you know, there was a couple things, and I'm not going to disclose any information, but – a someone who I am um, dating is a huge health rat as well. And uh, they helped me, you know, learn different things about nutrition and I've been heavy in the gym. And uh, then I just found a huge passion for it and uh, I track every calorie, every macro carbs, you know, I do it all. So uh, then I'm, I'm in the gym two times, three times a day. And then when I get a wild hair up my butt, I'll, run from my house to the gym which is four and a half miles then i'll work out and run home so um it's, you're nuts i've just yeah i've i've loved it. i've always loved like the training side um i i'm not a huge fan of the glory side of, of racing um like being in the limelight uh, i kind of like the the behind the scenes stuff um and going forward like if I could do something in that world, kind of like Josh Wise's program, like that would be cool. Um, mm-hmm. I've always had like his vision of of having some training facility in you know Mooresville that I could you know bring kids in that want to learn and they can train on a go kart track, like like it, almost like an Alden Baker Baker camp for motocross, but for this where you come in and you work out and you learn about nutrition and you go drive go-karts out back and like you just really coach them up like i've always thought something like that would be cool and could really help the sport but um that's something far down the road no that's a cool idea i I like it do you do you remember i think it was in loudon the week that you won when um and there might have been a rain delay going on i don't remember but i was actually in the hotel gym working out and you bombarded me with like uh not a medicine ball, but like a big, like bouncy ball type thing. I think you were with Nick and you both just like bombarded me as I'm just like chilling on the elliptical. I'm like, 
fellas, just let me get my let me get my grind in here. And you're just like distracting me and you're like going outside in the window making faces and coming in and just like spraying water on me. Do you remember that at all? I remember that for sure. <laughs> Can't forget yeah, it. Uh, yeah, no. And, and there was a time where I wasn't a big gym guy. Uh, I didn't like going to the gym. I didn't like anything about it. Uh, I thought it was boring. I didn't find like a passion for it. That's the thing is like some people go to the gym, they just go through the motions. You go to the gym, go through the motions. And then people don't realize when you go to the gym, at first you're going to feel like crap. Like mm -hmm. you go, your body's so used to here. Eventually you go here to go back here. If what goes up must come you, down. Right. Like you're going to come down. Like when I work out, I don't feel great. Like I don't feel when I get when the next morning I woke up, like I woke up this morning, man, I hurt. But you, know, you drink some BCAs and, you know, take your amino acids and like, I'm ready to go for the day. Then you get pumped up and go to the gym later and go do it. Finding a gym buddy is huge too. I think. Yeah. Unfortunately, with quarantine, my gym buddy has uh, but yeah, I love vanished. But it, uh, yeah, I got to get back in the gym because I've been running, but I'm not a big runner. And like I'm doing push-ups every now and then. But it's uh, I, I need to get back in the gym. So maybe, maybe I'll come down to Cornelius and uh, we could lift a little bit together. You can you can tell me all about these amino acids, amino acids, whatever, <laughs> and uh, I can drink all your health juices and I can be I can be like an influencer in the wild. <laughs> You'd be jacked. Just yeah. you just come back one week later. Just I'm like Popeye. Like, yeah, I'm gonna put on my uh, on my car next year instead of the name. My nickname I've gotten is Pebble. Uh, is the nickname I've gotten is because my chest tattoo is like similar to the rocks, and they call me Pebble, like the smallest <laughs> rock. I like that. That's funny. <laughs> Do you have cheat days like The Rock? Because he has like 20 pancakes, like two packs of bacon, like all this different stuff. Have you seen his cheat days? They're nuts. No, I don't eat cheat days. I, I don't cheat. Um, I think cheating is for quitters. Like if, if you're going to cheat, oh. like I just, I, I don't, I can't cheat. I mean, like it, it's when I'm eating healthy, I'm eating healthy. If I take one day where I'm like, I'm going to eat this. Now, like, there's – I take that back. There is times when I'm forced to. So, um, for instance, after the, – the most recent time I can think is after the race. Where were we? I can't even think where we're at. After the race, I was starving. Uh, uh, Toledo. And you get back to the plane, and at the plane, they have Chick-fil-A sandwiches for you to get oh, grab and sit down. Can't say no. And I was – like I hadn't ate. It's so hard to eat healthy at the tracks unless you bring your own food. And nice. I hadn't ate, and I was like, I had a headache like hell, and I was just like, gosh, I don't have anything. I was like, screw it, I'm gonna eat it. Like screw it, and I'll eat it. But that's about it. I forgive you. You can't resist Chick Fil A. It's impossible. <laughs> it is. So I saw I saw like Sam Mayer tweeted something. He was like, "What's better, like uh, like Dairy Queen?" like chicken mcdonald's chick-fil-a burger king whatever and, and you quoted that. it and you were like uh you were like none of it it's all garbage or something like that it's all unhealthy yeah i was like damn chase is on the health kick i thought another one bites the dust there he goes all right i got yeah. two more for you real quick um what's up with your strange tiktok fame because apparently you're like appealing to country girls nationwide now on tiktok <laughs> how did this happen <laughs> <laughs> um it started with one video um it was a video that i heard the sound and it was this yeah little i'm gonna, I'm gonna like, find it you texted it to me no it's probably deleted at this point oh so i'll let me give you the story first let me give you this i bet it's gone it's probably gone i think the first video that i posted is gone they, yeah can i, I put that down? yeah so it was the first, the first video I posted was, can I pet that dog? And it was like this little kid and he was saying it. And I thought, and Carson Elledge actually goes, that's, that's so funny because it sounds like you when you were little. And so like it fits. And uh, so I posted it and it was just like a funny video. And I posted it to my Instagram as I like, go like my TikTok. And then I went to bed and I woke up and I was like, holy cow, like it's got like 10,000 views. Whoa. And like, TikTok is 
at that time, like a year and a half ago, like a year ago, wasn't as big as it is now. So 10,000 was a decent amount. And uh, then I was like, that's kind of cool. And then like, I had like some followers. And so I posted another video and it blew up. And, and I was like, and then I posted a funny video and it did nothing. Like got like 200 views. And it was what? Like, so then I started looking at like, all right, if I just appeal to a certain group, I'll get a ton of views. Yep. So I was like, screw it. So I started appealing to that and people started making fun of me. Like all my buddies, like, come on, dude, put your shirt back on. <laughs> like all this stuff, right? And I'm like, man, like, look at look how many views I'm getting. Well, then like one day I we were just at me and Max were talking about the other day. We went to this mountain house and I posted like it it it's gone now. It's not on there. Uh, but it was the one to the Morgan Wallen song where like I'm changing different outfits and it blew up. Like it was like the Monday, million... Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Yes, 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 yes. That's the one you sent two, me. Okay, yeah. Two million views. It was like my follower count. I hit a hundred thousand in thirty days. I went from zero to one hundred thousand followers, and I was zero like, to one hundred real quick. Yeah, I'm like, dang, I'm ripping. Like, this is awesome. My Instagram had 4,000 followers. It then had like 10,000. I was like, this is awesome. Uh, No, it had like, my Instagram had like 8,000 or so. And I was like, man, like I'm getting a lot of followers from this. Like this could be beneficial in the long run to say, hey, look, sponsors, I have a huge following. 100%, yeah. So then I started doing it more and more and people started making fun of me more and more and more. And I was like, just whatever, whatever, y'all what like look at my follower account though <laughs> and then and then i was like um then i started like I'm not gonna get into it but then i started talking to a girl and i felt like wrong to be posting these videos that appeal to girls if i'm in a relationship Fair. i was like this this is like something about it ain't right and then i was like you know I, so i just went through there and just deleted a bunch like almost every video i was just like all right you know what this is like it's, it's no big deal. So I started deleting, 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 deleting. Well, then all of a sudden, like, I didn't do anything. And then TikTok put on that they're going to release a creator fund for everybody that was verified and had a decent, had like a certain amount of followers. And I was like, well, I met the criteria. Like, I can make money now. So click the button uh, that, like, to sign to, you like, got to apply for it. And they accepted me. And I was like, so now if I post videos, I can make, so then I was like, all right, I'm just going to post like dirt bike videos, like videos, like fine. So I started posting those and like nothing, nothing, nothing. She's like, just post your normal stuff. Like you act like I care. Like just do it. Like I don't care. All right. Whatever. So you have her blessing. So I was like, whatever. Sure. So I start posting those videos again. Then it's like, I'm up to like 19,000 Instagram followers, <laughs> 249,000 TikTok followers. Like, I'm like, there we go. Like, we're back in it. And my, in the, like, the creator fund, like, it shows you how much you make each day. And it's like, I can go look and it's bloop, bloop, bloop. I'm like, man, this is great. <laughs> Jeez, man. Dude, they can't resist you. The country girls, I'm telling you. <laughs> I literally wrote in my notes, Appealing to country girls nationwide. That's literally what I wrote. I highlighted it. <laughs> hey, dude, if it, ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, you got to make money somehow. I respect the grind. <laughs> it's like, my, my main goal is, and I tried it, but it's really hard um, unless you have a huge, huge following. My main goal later on is to go to, like, YouTube and just vlog everything. Mm. Um and just and I love vlog. I love video. Yeah, you love and video. like the TikTok thing fit my my thing because I love video. Like I did it as a kid um, with my brother. Like in high school, I was on the morning show. The one that was like, "Oh, this is the weather today. This is what our high school football team did there this weekend." Like I was that guy that was doing that. So like I love video, and so it just kind of fit everything. I was like, whatever, I'll keep doing it. Then it blew up. Hey man, you do you. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna discriminate with you taking off your shirt for these country girls that are thirsty for some chase. Like you do you. 
I found a kid on there this morning that looks just like me. I was like, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, did I make this one too? I forget. Like, am I just that? Am I just that ingrained with TikTok that I forget what I make? <laughs> um, all right, man. Well, this has been fun. I, I guess last question. You kind of touched on it. You know, this is your fourth straight year in Arca East slash KNN with Rev Racing. Um, you know, I, I have in my notes, what's the long-term plan for you? But it seems that, you know, you said you got one more race left this year. Is it at Memphis? Uh, no, no, I'm not going to Memphis this weekend. I hate it, but we're not. All right. Um, well, I'm going to Five Flags. Okay. So, so you'll be in Pensacola. And um, it sounds like that will be your last race um, with NASCAR and Rev Racing. It seems like you got, you're going to be pretty much done after this year. Yeah, uh, I mean, Davey, you know, it. it's so hard to find money in this sport. Uh, it's next to impossible to just be an average male racer uh, to find money. It's it's just so hard um, when you don't have anything to leverage off of. Um, you know, some people can do B2B if they have something to leverage. I don't have a – how can I do a B2B if I don't have a B? You know, like B2B is business to business for those who don't know. Mm -hmm. How can I do a business to business if I don't have a business to do the business with? So it's, it's impossible, you know, for instance, and people like, what do you mean? So for instance, you look at Michael Annette. Now I'm not calling anybody out. You look at Michael Annette. He's got the flying J pilot sponsorship. His dad owns TMC trucking. His, his dad says, okay, flying J my trucks run say $80 million in fuel a year. I don't know what the number is. I'm just taking a guess. Probably somewhere around there. $80 million in fuel a year, you know, up and down the coast of California, out east, everywhere. I will make sure my trucks only spend that money with you guys and are only allowed to stop at Pilot and Flying J if you, in return, give me a kickback and sponsor my set. They're like, done deal. He's got to spend the money anyway. So, like, he's got to buy the fuel anyway. Might as well buy the Flying J if they're going to give you a kickback. Right. So business to business. Well, I don't have a trucking company to do it with. So like, I'm just, it's so hard to find, find that cash and find $3 million to go truck racing for a decent team. And I don't really like no disrespect to Ryan. I I'm so happy for him. And I, I know he's got some news coming out soon, uh, but I don't want to do like, like how Ryan is gets like two, three races and my buddy will like, I'm not disrespecting what they're doing, but I personally can't know, don't know if I'm willing to put in the time to do that. The, the two to three years of, you know, Hey, I found, you know, 20 grand. Can I go run this car? No, I won't get tires in my run 32nd. Cause then I'm like, what's the point? Like, is anything going to transpire out of it? I don't know. Um, and so I just, I see it as a waste of time and money and effort to just try to find 30 grand for one race and 30 grand for another race and not getting in good enough cars to even show that you're good. So I know it works for Ryan. He's doing a good job with it. And it's worked for priest and it's worked for Chastain and works for plenty of people. And, but it's, I don't know if it's a route that like I'm willing to take, you know, I think, I think we can tell people to make that, short and sweet if you need to for me it sounds like you're just burnt out you know it's it's just like the nature of the beast of big time stock car racing where at this point in time it's a pay-to-play sport and if you don't have the money you don't have the equipment and if you don't have the equipment you know and you're a racer at heart you know you want to win and if, if you're not winning and you're not having a good time while doing it what's the point and it seems like you're at that point right now where it's like you know, you've been doing this for, for going on half a decade now. You understand where the business model's at. Unfortunately, you don't have the, the necessary means to, to make it further than you are right now. So I guess what, you're going to just focus on the dirt stuff and just have a good time over there? Yeah, that's my plan. Um, you know, and it's not necessarily, I don't want people to take away like, wow, you get this opportunity and now you're giving up now. Yeah, it's yeah. not that. Like, it's so hard to understand unless you're doing it. That like, the money to get there is not feasible. Like, it's if it's not possible to find, like, what am I doing? So, like, I'm 23 years old. Like, 
what am I going to do? Waste three more years trying to play this game of finding bits. You know, I just, it just, so yeah, I'm going to go race dirt. Um, I got a dirt sprint car um, and I'm going full blown 360 racing next year, full blown sprint car racing. And uh, you know, try to play that route. I've got plenty of connections there and I've been, you know, doing pretty good for myself on that end, you know, working on people's stuff and crew chief in and winning races. Um, and so I've been making, you know, pretty good money doing that stuff. And uh, if I can go dirt sprint car racing, you know, there's opportunity to make even more money and um, sell more t-shirts. So that's the goal. And um, that's where we'll go for a year. And I also want to say too, um, you know, like you said, for those people that maybe they like, wow, we're so ungrateful for the opportunity. Also, you know, people may view it as like, oh, wow, he had three years in K&N and he didn't move up. Like, that's a failure. Um, personally, and I'm curious as to what you think, you know, I think that there's different levels of how you measure success in auto racing. Um, and for you, you know, as we've discussed, it, it's you're not in a position where you can do a B2B relationship and move up. But being with a team that, you know, it, it's among the upper echelons of K&N and ARCA teams, but it's not the 1% of the 1% with GMS, JGR, those type of teams. But you know, like you you have scaled the mountain. You have been on this ride for four years. You have been to victory lane. You have won races. You have competed week in and week out. And you went toe-to-toe with the best of the best for a championship. I would consider that a success. I mean, where do you stand on that? Yeah, no, I think I've had a successful career. Um and like I'm not done. I'm not done racing. Um, You're just and, done with NASCAR. Like, and I wish I wasn't. Like I wish I still had the opportunity to continue to do it. But you you see the people like Sam and Ty and people that come in and then go. And the reason they do that, you guys like everybody else has to understand. Rev Racing is the only organization right now in the sport of NASCAR in. Like this Canon Arca that is giving the opportunity based off of talent. Based off, of, yes, you have to be a minority to go to the combine, but once you get to the combine, there's, first of all, there's 60, I don't know how many people apply, but you get there, narrow it down to 14. Then you go to a combine and you try out, you do media, this and this on track, and they say, okay, you're the most talented one, we're putting you in our car. Um, yes, I know you have to be a minority to get to that point. I understand that. And, but it is the only one based off of talent right now. Everybody else, and I'm not sh- not trashing anybody else, but everybody else is bringing a sponsor. And so for guys like me who come, I'm not going to say I come from nothing. I came from a great family. But like who come from in the racing world, nothing. I can't come in and say, you know, I come into this with no money. And I race for four years and I run competitively. I think I've had success. The reason those kids come in and keep going is because they came in with a million dollars run Arca for a year. And so they already have their relationship and somewhere that's giving a million, whether it be their dad, whether it be a sponsor. And nine times out of 10, like I'd say probably eight times out of 10 in the sport, and especially in the Canyon level, it's the father that has a lot of money. And I'm not faulting him, but that's the way it goes. That's the and reality. there's very few that come in, you know, Haley, Michael Self, Max, that come in with an actual sponsor. Um, and But that's why Michael Self has been in ARCA for so long. Um, you know, it's so hard. Uh, but but that's just the nature of the beast, and that's, that's the way the cards get dealt. At what point, I know I've kept you too long, but this is an interesting topic for me. You know, no, at what good. point, at one point, like in your canine arc career, did you realize, like, I mean, there's always like the, the over overlying thing of like, yeah, you need money to be good in this sport. But at what point did it become a reality for you when you're like, okay, like if I'm going to get somewhere, like if I'm going to move up, I need money. And like, that's the way that it has to be. And, and I'm not going to get anywhere, frankly, if it's just based on my pure talent, because as you said, Rev is the only team, developmental specifically too, that you know puts drivers in their cars based on talent. And I mean, yesterday as we're recording this, we saw Ross Chastain get in the 42, and he's the first guy in a long time that I can really think of that got that ride based on like racing talent and not really bringing any sponsorship with him. So like, at what point in your career, and as you said, you're 23. 
like when did you realize that this is the way that it is and this is the way that it has to be and unfortunately there's no real way in changing that um i'd say year two uh at rev i knew so i thought my brother went through it and i saw it firsthand and i knew like i thought to myself if i do everything right I do everything. I do. I meet this person. I meet this person. I can talk like a son of a gun. I can. I can sell water to a fish. Like, I can. <laughs> like, I. I can do this. You know, and I thought that I could talk to other people, make the right impressions, go win races. And year two, I was like, "Ain't gonna happen." Like, I've got to figure something else out. So I really hit the marketing hard. Tried this. Tried this. Tried sending sponsors, 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 use send a million emails and then it's like you never get one back or it's like no so then you always get promises and promises if i got everything else promise i'd be in cup right now but you're not <laughs> um and then year three came around and i was running billion, and i was like damn like i might have a chance like if i can run this good and there's a lot of people noticing me right now like you know i had an opportunity um you know, come up that I was like, man, I'm, I might make it like, this might be my shot. Um, and then it got shut down and this person, this person. So, and then like year four came around, I was like, guy, right, like it ain't gonna happen. I'm not going to give up. I'm still going to search for sponsors. I still send sponsor emails every single damn day, but it gets to a point where you're like, all right, like when, when do you like, give up a little bit and not give up, but when you just let reality sink in and when you move on. And so like now I'm just like this whole year, I've been to a point where like, I'm still going to send my sponsor emails, but I'm going to enjoy it. Like I'm not going to bust myself. And if I have a bad race, like, man, eh, it is what it is. Um, it sucks. Um, like Bristol, I was up third. I was, I was ripping. And then it was like blown tire. I was like, oh man, that sucks. But uh, I'm not going to dwell on it. You know, like it is what it is. So that's where I'm at now. And also rev racing specifically, you know, like as much as you want to say like how good the program is and it is like the reality of it is there's a shelf life too. Um, you know, nobody is gonna, and I'm, I'm sure Max Siegel himself would probably tell you this, you know, nobody's going to come into rev racing at 18 years old and stay there until they're 30. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, this is no, like a developmental program, right? It, it's a four year program. And that's why Ruben, you know, left after last year. And that, that's why you're leaving after this year, there is a shelf life and it's not infinite, unfortunate as it may be, you know, there's turnover that happens within the sport. And specifically this program is not any different and it's not, you know, inept to that. So that's kind of just the reality of the situation. And I, I'm glad that you're, I mean, you seem to be at peace with the situation because as you said, you know, like this is reality. So you might as well just accept it and move forth and try to do what, do the best you can with what you got. And you got one more race, so why not make it a victory? I mean, I'm going to give my best effort. It'd be tough to pull off a victory, but we, we can't always try. Yeah. Well, Chase, this has been fun, man. It's been, uh, it's been fun reminiscing. Uh, it's been fun learning a lot about some stuff. And uh, it was good to just see your face again because I haven't been to the track since March, February, March, something like that. So it was just... Uh, good to catch up bro uh it's been fun and although your nascar career seems to be coming to an end i know this is not the last that we'll be hearing from you because we'll be we'll be seeing you ripping it up on the dirt every week for years and years to come with the best of them so i wish you all the best moving forward i know that nothing but success will come your way and i'm sure we'll cross paths sometime soon at the dirt track i'm not a dirt guy i've been to volusia like once but now that you're going to be going with this full time I got to get out there more and you got to show me what it's all about. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, it was good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. No problem. We'll talk soon. All right. All right, buddy. And we're back. That wraps up our talk with Chase. We covered a lot of ground this week as well as last week. And again, I mean, Chase got nothing to hide. He said it right there. I mean, he's got nothing to hide. He's holding no punches. He's pulling no punches, whatever the freaking saying is but basically he's done with nascar um and i thank him for being honest with me we kind of all knew that that was coming considering that the rev program does have a shelf life as we talked about but it's kind of crazy to think that chase is not going to be running an arca next year he's probably just going to be tearing it up in his micro sprint on dirt but 
we're, it's not going to be the last time we hear from Chase. We wish him nothing but the best, and we will be hearing a lot more from him in the years to come. Race preview time from the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Roval, Kyle Busch, Eric Almarola, Clint Boyer, and Austin Dillon all right now sit below the cut line. They're all minus 20 or more points back. So that should be something to watch moving forward. I don't think that this is going to be as crazy of a Roval race as we've seen in the past, unless we get rain, which is looking actually pretty likely in the forecast because they can race in the rain on this track because it's road course. But I don't know, like the first year we saw the last lap drama with Truex and Jimmy and then Blaney won and then Larson hit the wall and made the playoffs the next round by one point. Last year, Chase Elliott went into the Tums heartburn turn, got some heartburn and then came back and rallied to get the win. I don't know what we're going to see this year, but something just tells me that it's not going to be as crazy and as dramatized as we've seen in the past couple of years. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but specifically with the four drivers below the cut line, again, Kyle, Eric, Clint, and Austin, I don't think that any of them are going to be able to vault themselves into the top eight on points specifically. I think out of those four drivers, the one that I'm looking at to possibly win is Kyle. But I think it's going to be the Chase Elliott and Martin Trucks Jr. show because that's what it's been lately on road courses. Something tells me that they're going to dominate the race. Kyle's going to try to go for broke as well as those four guys below the cut line and forego stage points and try to win the race because that's kind of how you're going to be able to get in. I don't know if you're going to be able to point your way through. But I hope it's going to be good. It's going to be entertaining for sure because whenever you put stock cars on a road course, specifically one that's as unpredictable as this racetrack because you've only raced twice on it with no practice, with no qualifying, with the caveat that it may downpour and rain, that is going to be a sight to see. So I'm excited to watch it, man. Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. I believe it's on NBCSN or Big NBC. Who knows? But you'll be able to find the race. I think it's still going to be a good cutoff race. Do not get me wrong. But I just don't think there's going to be any change in the bottom four. So I think it's going to be Kyle Busch, Eric Amarola, Clint Boyer, and Austin Dillon who are eliminated after the Roval. Look nuts of the week! Cue that funky music, white boy. Kyle Larson wrote an essay titled My Lessons Learned on KyleLarsonRacing.com. I highly suggest reading it regardless of what you think of him and the situation. Um, I think that he penned his thoughts pretty well. And I think that we're going to be hearing some more from him in the, in the next couple of weeks regarding an open Hendrick Motorsports seat. And we will get to that in a minute. But I want you guys to read that because that's, um, that's a pretty powerful piece from him and you could think that some of it's lip service, some of it doesn't really mean anything, but he's not hiding behind the words. He actually is putting action in front of them, and he's been working with specific organizations to try to repair the damage that he's done, so kudos to him for that. And as I said, I think we'll be hearing from him and seeing him in short order. Atlanta Motor Speedway is headed for a, quote, repave and reprofiling, end quote, in the future, and possibly the addition of a casino on the property and the renderings that we saw made Atlanta look like it was going back to the old configuration of not a tri-oval, but a true oval. So we'll see if that winds up happening. I mentioned that we may be hearing about Kyle Larson soon with Hendrick Motorsports. We also heard this week that the new driver, the 48, is already in-house. Alex Bowman is going to drive that machine next year. Greg Ives is going to move over to Crew Chief with him. Ally Financial is going to remain the sponsor of that car. And that was kind of expected, right? We heard rumblings and we saw that that was probably going to happen. And to make a long story, I guess, longer, what I think is essentially going to happen is Kyle Larson, there's no real sponsors that would like to attach themselves to him at the moment. The 88 car did not have one specific sponsor attached to it, right? They had Exalta, they have Cincinnati, they have Chevy Goods, some other sponsors like that that are business-to-business, B2B relationship partners with Rick Hendrick from his car dealerships. That's what was on Alex Bowman's fire suit every week and on his car every week. So you're going to put Larson in the 88 car, presumably, that has no sponsors outside attached to it, but only internal ones from Rick Hendrick's car dealerships, whereas you put Alex Bowman with an outside sponsor, an ally financial, that can now attach itself to him, who is a marketable person that a sponsor would like to be attached to instead of somebody like Kyle Larson, who still has a lot to prove right now. But... I think we'll be seeing an announcement on that sometime in the next couple weeks. That's what everybody is saying, and I have no reason to believe that that is incorrect. 
Haley Deegan, she's going to make her National Series debut for DGR Crosley at Kansas Speedway, and she's probably setting up to run in the Truck Series next year on a full-time basis. She, she's continuing in the Arkham Menard Series this year. I think there's one race left at Kansas, and she's going to be double, doing double duty that weekend. She should finish third in the championship standings. It's Michael Self and Brett Holmes. I think Self had a DNF, and he's now eight points back of Holmes with one race to go. And um, I'm going to give it away right now. Michael Self is our guest next week on the podcast. So that should be fun. Be sure to tune into that. And be sure to tune into Kansas in the next couple weeks for the Arkham Menard Series Championship finale. And the last bit of silly season news this week, Team Trackhouse. They have tabbed Daniel Suarez to drive the number 99 Chevrolet for 2021. And they're going to have an alliance with Richard Childress Racing. So... We'll see if Justin Marks, Ty Norris, those are two big names in motorsports and have been for a long, long time. I don't expect that they're going to struggle a ton out of the gate, especially with an alliance with RCR, but I don't think they're going to win. I think the driver is capable of, of contending for top tens and possibly race victories, and Ty Norris knows what he's doing. I think Justin Marks does as well. It's always good to see new team owners and new organizations make their way into the sport and the Premier Series, so congratulations to them on that announcement. That will wrap things up this week on episode 76 of Victory Lane 2.0 for the OGs. If you like what you heard today from myself, my dad, Chase Cabry, anybody, Scott Miller about the yellow line, leave a rating and a review, subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Usually wherever your podcasts are consumed, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and I'll try to fix that and rectify that problem for you. But until next week when we're going to be chatting with Michael Self of Venturini Motorsports, keep it safe, keep it inside, keep washing those hands, enjoy the Roval, and we'll catch you on the flip side.